Hey everybody, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick. I can be found at nickferry.com and I am joined with a good buddy of mine. And I figured it would be fitting to have him on as a guest to the first podcast back um, because he was the one that convinced me to bring it back. Yes. <laughs> and this is my good friend, Bob Close. Hello. And where can you be found at? I can be found at bobclose.com. How do you spell that? Uh, B-O-B-K-L-O-E-S. Or on Instagram. As bobclose456. Is there an underscore in there? No. Okay. So bobclose456 on Instagram. He's also on Facebook under Close's... Close Custom Woodwork. Close Custom Woodwork or bobclose.com. B-O-B-K-L-O-E-S. And uh, so, yeah, this is the... The bringing back of the podcast, I basically couldn't say goodbye to the podcast altogether. It was a nice little break uh, from not having to do it, but I think it was just, you know, I, like I said, I couldn't say goodbye to it. So uh, Bob was the one that kind of convinced me to bring it back a couple months ago because you had knee surgery. Yep, I did. I had my knee replaced. Um, I'm not a big social media guy. Really? But I always enjoyed your podcast. Don't ask me why. You were good, and I didn't want to see it go, and I really felt that you should continue. So that's cool. what made me say it to you. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Um, a little background on Bob, or I'll, I'll let you kind of give the background, but but why have Bob? Bob is a fine furniture maker and has been for quite some time, and I'll let him kind of give you a little bit more of his pedigree. But uh, he lives local to me, so we're actually recording this in my shop today, and I'm trying something new. Uh, for those of you guys listening on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes or any of those uh, RSS feed and all that stuff, um, you know, you can listen to it. But I, I think I might from here on out record these and put them on a YouTube channel. Um, all the links will be in, uh, at uh, thewoodworkingpodcast.com. We do have a camera running here today, and uh, we'll see if it makes its way over there. But I just wanted to let you guys know that. And thanks to all the Patreon supporters as well. I should get all the, the front of the house stuff out of the way. But thank you so much. Um, but anyways, Bob, how long have you been woodworking? Well, close to 40 years, 40 years. years. Um, I never had any training. Everything I've learned was by myself, by trial and error. Um, I got married in 1977, bought an old house. I had to fix it up. So I went to the library. We didn't have computers. We didn't have YouTube. There was nothing like that. So I learned by going to the library, getting books and magazines, reading things and then trying them. And uh, I learned some good lessons along the way. I learned patience is definitely probably the biggest thing you need to be a woodworker. Um, whatever you do, do the best at it you can. And if you want to improve, keep doing it until you get better. It's pretty simple. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that 100%. I know a lot of times we do the YouTube live videos and stuff like that. And one of the questions that gets brought up again and again is, what would you perfect or what would you try and get better at as kind of a beginner woodworker? And I, I seem to be one of the only people that answers the question again and again, cut square and straight. Yep. Whether yep. it's a handsaw, a scroll saw, a bandsaw, a table saw, a jigsaw. Yep. I mean, you're... you're you're going to need to make straight and square cuts. And you need to have your lumber straight and square to build anything that's going to look decent and work right. Yeah. Um, you can't go to the store and buy a board off a rack and think it's going to be square and flat. That's just not how wood is. Wood always moves. And however you build something, 
you have to build it so that you allow the wood to move. Um, that was one of the hardest lessons I learned long ago, but it's so true with anything you build. You know, the, the material is, is a natural material and it's always going to move whether you have two coats of finish on it or 10 coats of finish on it, it's always going to move. So build accordingly. And if you can build it so you can finish it easy, that's one of the biggies. What do you mean by finish it easy? I have a good friend, Charles Neal, who I believe says um, builds, he builds to finish. In other words, what you want to do is when you build your, your piece, your project, you want to build it so that as you assemble it or whatever, you have the parts done and either finished before you put it together or that you can easily access and finish it after it's together. You don't want to build a box and have the whole inside where you sand it or have to sand it after you've got the box put together. You want to sand all that before you put the box together. That's just a simple, easy trick I learned the hard way a long time ago. Uh, the same way with a cabinet, whether you're doing a kitchen cabinet or a piece of furniture, you want that inside done, sanded, ready to finish before you put the case together. It just works easier and it makes it a whole lot easier when people go to finish their projects, which to me brings up the point of finishing is usually the hardest thing for a woodworker. They spend a lot of time building something and then they try to slap some finish on and it doesn't look like the Minwax commercial on TV. You know, it just, it doesn't look like it should. And that's frustrating and it's hard. Yeah, because after, after you put that amount of time into it, making sure that everything is just so, it's sanded just right, all the joints and everything come together real nice. Do you find, you see, you know, because you've been woodworking for a long time and you've seen anywhere from new to fully experienced, do you see a lot of people rushing oh, the yeah. finishing and then it's oh, just, yeah. that's where they get maybe get they you know? they spent so long building the piece when it comes to finishing they just want to get it done and in the house or in the place where it goes or give it to the person who's supposed to get it and that's not how you can look at finishing to me when you build a project you've got a third of the time machining material a third of the time building material or building the piece and then a third of the time finishing the piece so that's kind of how i allot my time when I do it. And if you're not spending as much time sanding as what you are building a lot of times, it doesn't turn out as well. Sanding is really critical to getting a good finish. Um, I know there's guys that do the hand plane thing and that works fine too, but I don't just put a coat of oil on my pieces and call it finished. I like to do a sprayed finish on mine with lacquer. And you don't deal with a lot of straight grain. No, I don't. I deal, everything I build is in figured wood. Figured wood. So uh, I'll, I'll make sure too on the, the website article for this, I'll make sure to put uh, pictures and stuff. And, and again, you can go to bobclose.com. And I just figured, again, he'd be a good person to interview as uh, bringing back the podcast. He's a good buddy of mine. And you guys got to check out some of his work. And it, I mean, figured, you know, what, what's your favorite? Is it curly maple, bird's eye? What, what's your Actually, I got two little log sets of stuff. I've just never seen anything like this at all. It's hard maple. It it has bird's eye in it, but it looks like marble. Really? I call it marbled maple because it's just so ungodly figured. It's blistered and curled, and it looks like crushed velvet in places. It, it's just, it's so unique and so cool. And then all of a sudden you'll get a big streak of just plain white maple in the same board. 
it, I'm, I'm always amazed. People will say, well, what causes the figure in a tree? I don't know. You know, stress is what they know that causes figure. They know that stress, if a tree's not stressed, that's creating bird's eye. Uh, once you take the stress off the tree, it just grows plain white maple. Uh, they're finding out that as they go in and trim out woods or forests uh, and clear out the canopy, the trees that are under stress that have bird's eye in them just start growing plain white hard maple over top of the bird's eye. So you're relieving the stress off the tree, which is creating the figure in the first place. Yeah. Um, there was an, a real interesting video I found on YouTube of a forester up in the UP who did the best job I saw yet of explaining figure in, in a tree and bird's eye and what, what to look for in a log. Um, and one of the things he said, which always, um, I, to this day, still stuck with me, is most trees come down and they flare out at the butt. Mm -hmm. A bird's eye maple will come down and narrow in at the butt really it's complete opposite and he said it's because of the stress on the tree so and bird's eye is always more prominent on the outside the bark side of the board right right well it's curl is too one of the things i found over the years with with doing figured wood with curl curly maple bird's eye flame birch curly cherry um maple especially curly maple is the biggest one I know people like to book match boards, but with curly maple, the figure is always better. It's always stronger. It always looks better finished on the outside of the, what you would call the outside of the tree. So in other words, if you look at the end of the board and the rings are curved up, that's the outside of the tree. So when you go to finish, that's the side you want to show. Um, one, of the, one of the things I've run into over the years is the guys that talk about, oh, you have to alternate the green when you glue up a tabletop or Yeah, whatever. that's how I was taught. Um, I, I don't so much anymore, but... Maybe it's because I'm self-taught, but I I did that for a long time, but it's just cutting boards into three-inch little sticks and gluing them together is not my way of woodworking. I like a tabletop's going to be 12 or 14-inch wide boards and really be something to see. Yeah. And mine are all going in the same direction. They're all bark side up. I've never had an issue with tables getting warped or twisted or coming apart. If you build them right, they'll stay flat. If you use good lumber, it'll stay flat. Yeah, and, uh, and allow for the wood movement. Yeah, and allow for the wood movement. That's, that's always yeah. one thing. I mean, I know when I first started out, I gave no consideration to that. And luckily, um, shop classes in middle school and high school, those teachers were, were building that in uh, with expansion and contraction in mind, seasonal movement in mind. But I, I, I totally... I, yeah, I, it, it's one of those things to where, it's, I, you know, I don't always practice what I preach either because right. those, those end tables I was showing you earlier, you know, those I just kind of, I'm not really worried about wood movement, but those are cheap pine tables. And going back to the, the finishing of a third and a third and a third, I would say I easily, because those are just pocket hole screw tables, which I don't do a ton of pocket hole screws, but these were just, I had, I had to knock out two for a customer and then two for a gift. And I easily had the majority of the time finishing those tables mm -hmm. than I did constructing them because yep. it was two by two select pine for the legs and one by four select pine for the aprons. And I, I tapered the legs in this case. I just kind of wanted to raise it up to the base is painted and kind of distressed with majoritively black, but then the top is, is dyed. But I wanted that, you know, the tapered leg to kind of draw your attention to the top, but right. easily I had more, and, and these are, I wouldn't call them cheap tables. And I'll make sure to put a picture on uh, 
thewoodworkingpodcast.com, the, the article associated for that, of at least one of these end tables. But, yeah, I, I get off track. You'll, you'll, you'll come to figure that out. I get off track rather okay. easily. There's so many ways you can go when you talk woodworking. I mean, there's so many things. Um, I can't do everything in woodworking. I can do casework. I can do furniture. I'm not a carver. I'm not a turner. Um, I can finish real well. You know, the, people think when you build something that you have to be really good at everything you do. Well, that's the reason you kind of outsource some things. Mm -hmm. um, I had a good friend who loved turning. He would come in and turn legs for me for hours. He loved it. I hated it. Yeah. And he did a really good job. Um, that would explain why you have a duplicator. Yep, lady. exactly. Yep. When I did it, it was a duplicator, and it was really fast and dirty and nasty, but they got done. Yeah. Um, you know, carving, I have a friend who was trained in Europe that's a great carver. I couldn't do what he does. I can't look at a board and say, I can see this face in there. I That's not me. But I can tell you that as a woodworker or as a, a human being, I guess, for that part, if you look at something and there's something not right, it's your eye telling you that yeah. there's something not right. Well, there's a lot of people that'll make something and then say, well, what do you think? And I'm blunt. So I'll say, well, it looks like crap or it's really good. Yeah. It's one of the two. And the reason it is, is proportion. Yeah. You know, and you, you can, there's books written on proportion. There's a lot of things done on proportion. The whole Fibonacci. The whole Fibonacci, yeah. the, the golden rule, the, you know, the one Golden ratio. Ratio, yeah. It's the golden rule. <laughs> that's, uh, that's build, another, that's build things thing, like you yeah. want other people right, to build exactly. things. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's funny, it's funny you brought that up because I, I was doing something for my wife the other day and it, it involved a rectangle. And I said, no, let me, let me redo that quick. And she goes, no, it looks, it looks fine. Why? And I said, that, that's completely out of proportion. She goes, well, it doesn't matter what size. And I said, no, but it's out of, like, proportion is like the golden ratio Fibonacci uh, scale. And it, it, just, it just doesn't look right. And she's like, uh-huh. And I, and I showed her, like, it goes back to the, the, the Greek Parthenon and all yep, that stuff. Yep. And, and if you look at it, and it, it, pleasing to the eye or not pleasing to the eye. And I know you were alluding more to... Uh, whether it's a quality piece, like whether it's crap or it's not crap. Well, no, but, but if it looks right to me, again, it's if you look at it and it's proportioned right, and I've never been one to follow that golden ratio thing so much. If it looks good to your eye, it's good. Uh, I read an article once that says the human eye can detect up to a 64th of an inch difference. I'd believe it. Um, so that's why people can tell if your picture's hanging crooked on your wall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And um, if you build something and it doesn't look right, I've burnt a lot of things up over my life that I just didn't like because I didn't like how they turned out. And people would say, well, how can you do that? If it's not good enough for me, it's not leaving my shop. Yeah. I, you know, I've got pieces all over the country in 48 of the 50 states. I can't afford to put something out there that's not good. Yeah. Because that could be somebody's first initial impression. Exactly. Well, exactly. this is a Bob Close piece. Yep. And then they're like, well, no. Yeah. yeah, I don't want that again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that answer, because I, I was about to ask you, do you ever just not get rid of a piece because you don't like how it turned out? And I kind of answered that. No, I burnt them. I've, <laughs> my wife and my daughters would say, oh, you can't do that. And I'd say, it's not me. It's not good enough for what I want. And I'll tear it apart. I'll use it for something else, it, whatever. 
Um, he has some of the the best curly charcoal I've ever seen. Yes, yep, I do. And Nick <laughs> is right. I do make charcoal out of out of my little scrap pieces. That's one of my odd things in life. But um, it's a woodworker's nature not to waste anything. Right, exactly. Some guys, you know, make whirly gigs or whatever. I make charcoal out of pieces, and you do get figured charcoal. Believe it or not, you can have bird's eye in the charcoal. You can have curl in the charcoal. So it's there. Um, another thing too, I mentioned that I might put this video on YouTube, so definitely check uh, the woodworkingpodcast.com, uh, a video version of this. But let me know too. I want to make sure to kind of hit all my bases, my you know my bullet points, so I don't forget. But uh, if you guys, like I said, it'll still be available on iTunes and still be available you know in in those ways. But I, I also wanted to do. You know, I just like the the idea of just plopping down a camera, and the camera angle will get better. Anyone that's watching on YouTube, um, the camera angle will definitely get better, but. See, I digress into weird tangents. I want to make sure okay. I hit all my points. This has been absolutely fascinating to see what all goes on and what you have to go through to even do something like this. And the money involved. And I spend a lot of money on tools for woodworking, but sitting here and seeing what you you know, what you all have, there's a lot of money spent on just this equipment. To oh, do yeah. This. It, it gets pricey. Um, and, and I don't ever show it in videos because that's kind of the whole point is it's, right. it's not supposed to get shown in videos. And I was fortunate. I was doing theater productions and advertising pieces and, um, you know, different packs for them for, uh, you know, my softbox lighting and a couple of the microphones, but recording two people at once in my shop, this is the first time. And I, I have this kind of rigged. It's, it'll get better if we decide to go the video route with that. But, um, and I think the majority of the time. What, what I'm thinking about for the format of bringing the, the podcast back is um, there will be no set schedule to start. Uh, it'll just be kind of a – I want I like doing it because it's fun, and I want to keep it fun for me. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's definitely the most important part. Uh, so I'm guessing monthly to start, and then um, I was going to bring on different special guests, um, you know, people that have different um, skill sets in, in woodworking or – you know, making whatever, whether it's, you know, metal workers or, or le- leathersmiths, stuff like that. Because I, I already have quite a few people. If you guys have any suggestions, please feel free to leave those on the woodworkingpodcast.com and all that good stuff. Uh, we can get back into talking about woodworking. Um, we haven't even gone 20 minutes yet. So, well, we're doing and I was, good. that's another thing I should mention. I was going to keep these to, I want to say between 25 and 40 minutes so that it makes it just a little bit less to try and. So I don't feel like I have to fill it, and and I think you'd be willing. Would you be willing to come back if sure? Yeah. If you guys want to hear more from Bob and and different things, like I said, I'll, I'll leave all his information on the article. Uh, but he really does some amazing work, so it's worth going to his website and checking it out. Uh, he's always an inspiration to me. And finishing, that's one thing. I actually had a, a buddy of mine, another fellow YouTuber, Mike Fulton, come over, and he was kind of like blown away at some of the finished pieces I had. And he's like, "Wow, this is." You know, you don't really get to see, and that, yeah, you don't get to see that in a video. Right. You don't get to see that in a Facebook post, an no. Instagram post. No. And I, spending that time to get that smooth, that silky smooth, yep. or sometimes like we were talking about aqua coat, like I used on that walnut slab, um, you know, as a, as a pore filler. Right. The difference, even between, you could do everything identical, but one has a clear pore filler and one doesn't. And one looks kind of heirloom quality. Exactly. You know, exactly. and the other one yep. just looks like it was, you know, kind of a rattle can sprayed, you know. Right, because you see all the pores and all the, I mean, it just, the finish soaks down in on walnut, especially mahogany. Um, if you don't fill the pores, you don't get a smooth glass like that. 
Yeah. You know, and finishing is, is, gosh, you could talk for days on finishing and what you're trying to do. Um, I'm one that when I, after my color's on, whatever, uh, and I spray my top coats, that's it. It's, my finish is off the gun. I don't do any rub outs. I don't do any waxing. I don't do any of that stuff. It lays out, and if it lays out and it dries right, and it's what I expect it to be, I'm done. You know? And that's definitely saving on the labor aspect if, if you do all the prep right. work right. Right, exactly. To where you don't have to, you know. Exactly. Uh, just one of the odd things you run across. I switched to a lot of water-based top coats now. Okay. Uh, one of the things from solvent-based to water-based, of course, the smell is gone. You don't have the, the lacquer smell like you did with, with solvent-based lacquer. But in between coats, when you scuff it um, with a lacquer, with a solvent-based lacquer, you could wipe it off with a tack rag if you wanted. You could vacuum it off. You could leave the crap on there and just spray right over it. It'll all melt yeah, back it'll in. melt back in, yeah. Water-based isn't like that. Water-based, you have to be very particular. You can't use a tack cloth. Uh, you can use one of those microfiber cloths to clean it. Uh, what I do is scuff it, vacuum it, take a microfiber cloth, and then put it and put the second coat on. Because any speck of old finish that's on there or whatever is going to stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, it so won't you, melt back in. Nope, like nope. You can do two coats in a relatively short time without scuffing in between with water base. Um, I let it get tacky and then do a second coat right away. That way, when I go to scuff it, I've got two good coats on there. Sure. So I don't have to do maybe four coats. Water base, you have more solids in there, too. Okay. Uh, so it builds lot, quicker? Builds a lot quicker. You can do two coats with a, a, a water base versus four coats with a solvent base. You can tell people what, what finish you're using. I know I know you're, you you really believe in that product and that, I, that company. Yep, I do. I use uh, Greenlight Coatings from Duluth, Minnesota. That's who I. That's what I use on my tabletops and any surface that's going to get a lot of use. Uh, it's actually a floor finish. I spray it. It's a water base. It has an amber tint to it, so it looks good. It warms the wood up. It's not inexpensive, but it it lays out well. It dries fast. Um, it just works really nice. And it's durable because it's, it's a durable. floor finish. Yep. And then the other stuff I use is is Aguilante from ML Campbell's. That's what I use on furniture pieces. Um, it's a little less expensive. It it's more like a pre-cat lacquer. But it's water-based. It sprays nice, lays out nice, uh, gives you a really nice finish. They did change the formulation on it a little. <clears throat> and it dries a little quicker now than it used to. The first time I sprayed that, I had some real issues. And I bought some reducer. They make a special reducer for it, which tells you that they know there's problems. Uh, finishing companies are notorious for kind of leaving you hanging sometimes. Yeah. Um, I won't get into one that's based in Wisconsin that I would never use their products. They're kind of down by Milwaukee. But, um, <clears throat> anyway, um, I tried it with the retarder and I tried it with other, I've got it down now to where I can spray it and not have the issue, but it's a real fine line. Sometimes the, the weather can play part of it. Um, you know, if it's temperature, real hot, humidity, temperature both. humidity, both can okay. play a big part in your finishing. Um, for the guys that, that like to do a wipe-on finish, make your own. You know, you don't have to buy the stuff from these big companies. It's basically all the same stuff. It's it's 
polyurethane or a varnish and a little thinner mixed in with it, about three parts of a finish and one part of thinner. You got but your you, own you wipe were, on You varnish. were thinning, one of your go-to <clears throat> wipe-ons, so you're finishing, or I'm sorry, thinning with naphtha, right? Right. Naphtha is yeah. because it dries faster. Okay. That's why it's a little finer solvent than mineral spirits. Okay. But some people can't find it or whatever and mineral spirits. Yeah, it's a little bit fun. more specialty than, right. you know. Yep. But, in fact... Would you be comfortable with me calling you a finishing expert? Well, I don't know. I <laughs> years. Of I'm an expert finishing. to myself because I've done <laughs> what I've done, but it's all trial and error, and I've made lots of mistakes, and mistakes are just learning lessons. That's yeah. all they are. You know, don't beat yourself up if something gets messed up. Uh, I've seen a lot of guys that they'll do something, and, and if it doesn't work out, they throw stuff and cuss and swear, and you know. It is what it is. I did one not that long ago that I cut three boards, cut them all too short. Would you cut them again and see if they were good? Yep, cut them. I did one, cut one twice, and it was Still really too short. short. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like there's days you just kind of put things down and walk away and go outside and look at the dog or whatever. Just walk away from it. Um, the reason I thought of that is because I've I've heard that old woodworking joke where you know I cut this board and it was too short and you know I must have cut it three four more times and it's still, still too short. short. Yep, yep, it happens, it happens. Uh, and believe me, every woodworker does it. I don't care if you're world famous or if you're Joe Hack in your garage. Everybody makes mistakes. Um, I always wondered about Norm when he used to do stuff in that show and he. Never made a mistake. I always wondered. I'd love to know where they went with all the stuff that did get screwed up. Well, I it always made me wonder in the New Yankee Workshop how he would always start out and he's like, oh, with our prototype. So he already yeah. built it off yeah. camera once. Yeah. And they, they did make some design modifications, but I think that would irritate me as a woodworker having to, in two or three days, build something, set up all my machining, my tooling, and then reset it up again. Yes. Like yep. when he knows I could have batched out two of these, you know, <laughs> yep. in, in less than half the time. It's true. Um, I, my wife always laughs at me because when I go to build multiples of something, I never get just one or two. Um, one time I decided to do some candle boxes. So rather than doing five or seven, I did 26. Hmm. I'll never do that again. Batching is, I hate batching work. I just, now I'm down to where I'll do two or three, and that's that's enough. Yeah. Uh, it just gets too repetitious. I'm not a machine, and I don't want to do that. It takes the fun out of it. takes the fun out of it. Um, yeah, anything over two or three for me, I would say, yeah. takes the fun out of it. Yep. Um, I don't know if it was Sam Maloof or somebody somebody that built chairs for a living, and I, I can't say for certain if it was Sam Maloof, but um, anytime somebody would order a set of four or six, he'd build an additional one. And then use that, and so his dining room was full of like ten different chairs, you know, and it just yep. batched them for himself. I think it was Maloof. I can't remember. It probably was. Have you ever sat in a real Maloof chair, or seen a real Maloof chair? I've seen um, one. I believe it was at Highland Woodworking where it was half. It was a true Maloof, half sculpted. Half okay. not sculpted yet. Okay. So it wasn't like a finished piece you could His sit His chairs in. are really, really low because Sam was a really short guy. Oh, okay. I didn't and know And he that. built everything to his scale. Huh. So they said you would go to sit down in this chair and like someone that's tall would like have their knees up by their forehead because the chair was so short. It just, 
that's how he did things. That's yeah, <clears throat> my, my brother was a kinesiologist and he would always speak to that for whether it's workbench height or what, you know, really. And that's, so now that's been my response to people. Hey, what, how tall should my workbench be? I don't know. How tall are you? Yep. I mean, do yep. you, you know, do you have a good back? Do you want things up a little bit higher? My, my benchtop bandsaw there has got to be, gosh, that's probably close to 50, 50 to 60 inches for the table. Yep. But that's when I'm doing precision stuff. I can actually yep. have my hands and my eyes and right there. And, yep. Exactly. I mean, I don't think you'd want that with a table saw being staring down at the, at the blade, but. And, you know, one thing with woodworking is you'll always get arguments with guys about stuff. Workbench height is a great one. You know, I, years ago, I remember I was told, well, you, you stand with your hands to your side and you lift your hand up and you measure to the bottom of your palm. So I thought, okay, I'll try that. That's what I built, like, my first five workbenches to. I imagine that's too short. No, it really wasn't bad. It depends if you're hand planing hey, a lot. Yeah, hand tool guy. A or... hand tool guy, that's perfect for a yeah. lot of stuff. If you're chopping dovetails or stuff, that's a little low. You want it a little taller so that you get that same thing, that it's closer to your face. Yep. So you can see what you're doing. As you age, you, of course, want things closer to your eyes because your eyesight goes bad. Um, and you can argue points. You can argue about finishing. You can argue about tools, of, you know. Sometimes woodworking becomes just a big giant argument, and it's too bad because it's meant to be, I think, something that should be fun and relaxing and rewarding. Yeah. And that's me. You know, that's what I like. That's what I, I love what I do. I've, since I've started doing this full time 20 some years ago, um, I've never worked a day in my life. You know, it's, it's, I hope that someday they can carry me feet first out of my shop. <laughs> that's how I go. So, um, no, my, my dad always used to say that if, if you find what you really are passionate about, what, what you enjoy doing, yep. you'll never work a day in your life. Nope. Although I'm also with the, you know, if you can find something that's financially beneficial. Um, that helps. Because I, I had a friend of mine that had no interest in welding, but he went down south to be an underwater welder for six, seven years. It was making such good money uh, living out of basically his car, came back up to Wisconsin and paid cash for a house at like 28 years old. Yep. No, no mortgage ever in his life. Nope. That's... You know? And now he, he's still young. He was at that time, he wasn't even in his thirties and he could essentially do whatever he wanted because he didn't have a rent or mortgage payment. Right. Right. So. Yeah. It, you, you know, woodworking will never make you a wealthy man, but it makes me a very happy person. Uh, it's paid the bills. I'm definitely don't want to be rich in my life. So it's worked out fine for me. You know, my wife has allowed me to do this. She's probably been the biggest influence in my life as far as letting me do this and backing me, telling me I was doing the right thing. Because a lot of times I worked for an insurance company for 23 years and walked away from a regular paycheck. And that's hard to do. Oh, uh, yeah. And benefits. And benefits and all that. And, but I knew I had to, you know, and it's just, it's worked out. So. That's interesting you said that because I've known you for quite some time and uh, I don't think you've ever alluded to how supportive your wife's been. And oddly enough, my wife has been super supportive from my woodworking um, since since I've met her. Yeah. Whether whether it's woodworking, metalworking, anything, um, she's like, you know, if you enjoy making stuff with your hands, try and find a way to, to do that. And um, even before I did YouTube videos, I was still selling for whether it's the occasional customer or occasional craft show but again we got we go into that whole i don't like batching out a dozen things or right. more um but 
I have now amassed a collection to where I, sh I need to do a craft show coming up because I have a couple tables and probably a dozen or two bowls, different pens, napkin holders and stuff where, you know, find three, four hours in the shop, you end up making stuff. But, you know, it's interesting you say about a craft show and I did art shows for years, fine art shows. People don't come to art shows to buy furniture. That was lesson number one for me. So I lost a lot of money going to do art shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I did make some good clients. Probably the biggest thing for me has been going into selling lumber. Um, it's become larger than my furniture business. It's something I really enjoy. Uh, it's years of, of working with some different people and different mills and finding what I want and knowing that they can get me what I want and what's good and what's not good. And it's become a very rewarding part of my business, both financially and just because I love doing it. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and I, we almost didn't talk about that, but, uh, you, so you sell figured wood. I sell figured wood and probably 95% of it comes from Wisconsin and upper Michigan. So, People are always amazed that there's this type of wood. And when I say figured woods, a lot of people have no idea what that is. <clears throat> so it's wood with a figure in the grain. Just, I guess one of the best ways to describe it is most people have seen quarter sawn oak with the flake in there. Flake yeah. is what they consider the figure. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's curly maple, which looks like uh, zebra stripes in wood. Bird's eye maple has little, what they call, look like little bird's eyes. Um, there can be all different types of figure, whether it's curls or half moon shapes or crescent moon shapes. or Every wood is different, and every wood can have different types of figure. But that's all I sell. I don't sell plain maple. I don't sell oak. I don't sell cherry. I sell curly cherry. I sell curly oak. Um, so that's the sort of thing. I That's what I specialize in. Is there any... Just to let any listeners know, if anyone's interested in getting some figured wood from me, is there any minimums or anything that way? If somebody's, um, I do it usually. I always say twenty board feet. Uh, that's usually three boards, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um, if you buy like the big planks, like the turning stock planks or the the big thick planks, then it's just basically one. Um, and the reason figured wood, especially thick stuff, costs so much is it takes forever to dry. I don't have a vacuum kiln. I wish I did, but I don't have a hundred grand just to plop down on a kiln. Well, you, uh, have to, you have to talk the other Bob yep, into it. Yep. Um, I air dry everything close to six months, usually for one inch material, uh, six months basically for every inch thickness of material, and then it goes into a a dehumidification kiln and it's dried what I call low and slow. It's low temperature, it's 107 degrees. Uh, it takes longer than the big commercial kilns that push lumber through in 14 days. So, but I know that my material comes out good, it comes out dried, it comes out bug free, and that's important to me. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are out there pushing, especially live edge stuff nowadays, where they saw it one day and they want to sell it the next and they leave the bark on it. And there's bugs in there and nothing's dry and people go to make something out of it and they don't understand why it's cracking and falling apart and why the beetles are crawling across the dinner table. Yeah. So. <clears throat> so, and so anyways, again, BobClose.com, B-O-B-K-L-O-E-S.com. 
uh, for any of the wood to, to look at any of this stuff. And I definitely appreciate having Bob on today. Um, but I want, I want your guys' feedback, too, whether you go um, leave a review on iTunes or uh, a comment on the Woodworking Podcast or on the, uh, the YouTube channel. I'll leave a link to I I even have to start the YouTube channel, so I haven't even done that. <laughs> Um, so I'm, but I'm now I'm pretty much obligated being, I've been re- video recording this whole time, yes. but leave a comment there too. Bob can, uh, he said he'd be willing to come back. We could talk about specifics. We could talk about finish. Yep. Uh, uh we could talk about wood selection, you wood can talk, selection, yep. working with figured yep. woods. Yep. Working with figured woods, working with wood. You know, if you have questions about wood, how do you, how do you, you know, what do you sand it to? What do you, how, you know, some guys will sand down to 12,000 grit. That's just overkill. Most of my furniture that goes out of my shop is sanded to 180, 150, 180 is the final sanding. That's, That's what just, I do too. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to go finer than that. It won't take color as well if you want to, well, I don't stain, I dye, which is a whole nother thing. But there you go. You can come back. We can talk about coloring yep, wood. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And chatoyance. Yes, chatoyance. People love saying the word chatoyance. Yes, they do. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think it's because it sounds French. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like French fries. Does, yeah, that, does that count? That works for me. Awesome. Well, I think I think we'll wrap it up there. I think that was right around a half an hour. And I always uh, always like to say I appreciate it. Um, and thank you so much to the, the Patreon supporters over on patreon.com forward slash the woodworking podcast. And a huge thank you in two different respects to Bob Close. Thanks for your time and coming on. Oh. But also thanks for convincing me and kind of kicking me to bring it back because i'm glad you did i really this makes my heart smile there you go awesome and if you guys want to have bob back on as a guest um definitely let me know in one way shape or form or another and definitely check out his website bobclose.com and thanks everyone for watching on the youtube if that's what you're doing or listening if you're just listening there you go and like I said, this is going to be kind of rough to bring it back. Um, hopefully, we'll, I'll even get like better camera angle or whatever. I had to switch my camera because this is the only one that would go past 20 minutes on one clip. And hopefully, we'll figure out these microphones and stuff. And uh, can definitely have on other guests and, and hopefully have Bob back sometime soon. Whatever. Awesome. Thanks good, again. Good. You bet. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. <clears throat> I've been wanting to cough. I didn't think to get a glass of water. I, I, well, I got yeah, kind of squirrely that one time. That when I go to sync the audio, it'll recognize the peak in all three, and then oh. it can automatically sync them. Well, I thought it was the clapper. <laughs>